Welcome back inside the Paris Sea Palace, high above 2919 East Broadway. This is the Jake Feinberg Show, coming to you live on Power Talk 1210. You can stream all of our live shows by going to powertalk1210.com. We are fully extraterrestrial radio and so glad that you could be part of the program today. Without further ado, I want to bring in an icon of gospel rock and a guy who has seen it all, ups and downs, overcoming adversity. And now he stands with his son on the stage this Saturday night to perform. He just had a birthday. Lester Chambers, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Well, thank you, Jake. And what a pleasure it is to be speaking with you the day after my birthday. <laughs> happy, happy birthday, uh, Lester. And, and, uh, and many, many good wishes to you. Well, thank you, sir. You know, I wanted you to, I want, I just, your story is compelling on so many levels, but could you talk about um, a sanctified church that you attended with your family when you were younger? Well, it was a Baptist uh, church, Did Greater you, Mount Zion Baptist Church. Was it in the, was it in the, uh, I mean, you lived on, you worked for a sharecropper, is that right? Right. And you uh, was the was the church somewhere in the near that property? I mean, what? And, and I guess. Oh, I, I thought you meant the church in Los Angeles. No, uh, I mean, I mean the sanctify. I mean, cause I guess what I'm getting at is that I've talked to so many cats, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that grew up uh, in the sanctified church. And the thing about the church at the time was that there was mm-hmm. no traditional trap set. It was right. it was uh, sticks. It was tambourines. Uh, there might have been right. a modified trap set, but the rhythms, mm-hmm. the rhythms came yeah. out of that. That's where the blues came from. And I'm just curious about your first. Yes. first ex- this, this. Yeah, go ahead. Tell me about your experience in the church. Well, my my first experience in the church was uh, Mount Olive Baptist Church in Carthage, Mississippi, where there was no instruments. To be honest with you, just uh, like you said, tambourines and sticks and and chimes of triangles. They used triangles to find the tone that we were all singing. And it was just, you know, it was like a rock, it was like rock and blues gospel lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> and what a, you know, I grew up with that in my life and it was, what a, what a pleasure. How, how do you, how, do, how were the rhythms, how did it influence you guys? Because everything today, well, everything, a lot of stuff today is, is digital mm-hmm. music, and most of it is in 4-4 time. And I'm just kind mm-hmm. of trying to figure out the jagged rhythms of the holy churches. I mean, even, even the pastors sometimes had electric guitars. And this is the, yes, and yeah. I, I want, this is what I'm trying to get at is this sort of, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you guys came up being able to play and sing across the board, mm-hmm. all different genres, and I just wanted you to talk about the, those rhythms and how they were different than just being in 4-4 time. Well, it, you know, it started out with the foot movement, you know, people patting the feet, keeping rhythm with the feet, and then the hands come in. And then sometimes people would do a double clap, you know? And yeah. these are the things, these are the first rhythms I I can uh, remember, remember in my time that the, the way the churches did rhythms. Because in, in the beginning, uh, before 
pianos were brought to the black churches, there were just vocals and foot stomping and hand clapping, you know? Mm, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, yes. to me, it's like invigorating. Also, uh, um, go ahead. It's body. It's 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 good for the body. It's good for the soul. You know, the more you put, the more rhythm you put into it. You know, I, I I saw people do what they call shouting in churches. Absolutely. And they call it the holy dance. Okay. And you you go to a club. You go to a nightclub. They call it. He's freaking out. <laughs> you know? And it's, You're right. He's, so he's tweaking see, out. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. freaking out. Yeah. But then if you look back into the African rhythms and dances, they, you know, they did the, uh, they did the booty gyrating and the, uh, you know, what they call the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, whatever it is now, they did all that back there in the African dances. The booty shaking dances. And, yeah, they, they did that, and it was big. You know, the whole tribe did it, you know? Oh, that's what I'm getting at, man. I mean, I want to go back to this original source. And to me, yeah. I I wanted to also talk to you about the power of the drum and what you, uh, if anything, uh, you know, uh, heard about uh, from, like, Congo Square. You know, the idea uh -huh. that, that the slaves... Uh, used drum patterns to communicate, and it was so powerful language that it scared yeah. it scared this, the the living crap out of right. out of the out of eventually we the Louisiana Purchase we 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 bought it from the French because we were just much mm -hmm. more vicious slave owners. But mm -hmm. I wanted you to talk about how you you know uh, the, how you knew the power of the drum. If you could talk about one of those moments of sort of uh, being in awe of uh, some traditional African drummers. Well, when I when I was first brought to Los Angeles, when we first came to Los Angeles, um, there was a group of people that called themselves Beatniks, and that was right up my alley. Okay, because <laughs> 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 we we. <laughs> We lived and didn't, we respected the law and all that, but we lived outside of it, sort of, kind of, and we had, this is when it first became to my, to my I was young, seven, 16, 17, and we would go to Venice Beach, California, and participate in, you know, uh, spirits, and then the drum would start playing, so several kunga players would just come and set up and start playing. And the whole rhythm, and then the whole, all of a sudden you would see the rhythm swaying with the water. And it was just the most incredible thing. So at which point I started beating on things with a stick, like a cowbell or anything I could get. My first uh, drum instrument that I had was, the, was you know, they call those big, uh, big boobs from the Buick, you know, the beaver, the buck teeth Buick with the big uh, boobs, they say, mm. in oh. the front. Okay. And I had, oh, yeah, 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 and yeah. I had, I had one of those that I would carry around, and then I, and I learned to play all the rhythms with the cougar players that was on the beach, playing at these parties we would have at Venice Beach. Oh, that is so cool. 
<laughs> and that's that's where I developed my drum rhythms and cowbell rhythms and all that stuff that I did. Um, I want to be clear about something. Was, yeah, no, I want to be clear though. Uh, the the yeah. you you were very eloquent before. You're talking about living within the law, but on your on your own time and space with yeah. the, with the beatniks. But the cats that were playing the the drums were they they weren't beatniks, were they? Yeah, we were all, we called, that's what we were called by the society. And what, at the time, Labels. what, at the time, what did, could you put into perspective what that word meant to you when you were called that word? Free. Free. We had, we had no, we had no, we were free. We roamed the streets. Um, and if we, if one of us had a room, 18 of us lived in it. Okay. Right. And, and you know we we were the hippies. We were we were later known as hippies, which was a better word than beatniks, and it's still recognized. And and I tell everybody I'm the first hippie from Mississippi. <laughs> still cooking. And proud of, and proud of it. Well, I'll tell you, man. I in reading your, it's just I, I love your story. Um, I I can't relate to it, uh, but I mm-hmm. just find it. I mean, I can. I just. I'd like you to talk sort of in a more philosophical way um, to younger cats who are, you know, like I'm 38, so I'm talking like my generation mm-hmm. and younger who are mm-hmm. more sensitive, less secure with their own individual voice, uh, a lot more uh, confined by society. I, I, I venture to say mm-hmm. that the beatnik lifestyle is much harder to live now. And, oh, um, God. And I wanted you to talk about how yeah. how you overcame adversity uh you can s- cite any example you want and how it made mm-hmm. you stronger as a person well just being free and knowing you know like i i didn't ever want to cause any pain or any misery or anything of that nature uh and i i lived i if you know if there ever came a challenge of that kind we walked away Okay, and we stayed, we kept ourselves, we never, none of us never got uh, contained by the law enforcement because we kept ourselves respectful of that kind of, one man would meet us where we had to go with our, everything we needed, and there we were. <laughs> uh, we didn't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we had a, there was a school in the, in the bunch, you know? Yeah, well, sure, sure. And uh, we had guitars, and, uh, but, uh, you know, I I started writing songs, like, when I was, like, 15, 16 years old, that, uh, like, I wrote the song that, uh, Girls, We Love You, I forget which, the name of the album, but it might be on from the Chambers Brothers, but if you listen to, it was way back in the early, early, very early 60s, like 61. Uh, and if you hear that song, you'll hear the uh, beginning of Marvin Gaye's career. With, uh, Can I Get a Witness? The same identical thing that I wrote. Um, and yeah, I no, just, go ahead. Go ahead. No, so no, I, I mean, anyway, I just, no. I, I just allowed, you know, I thought, what a blessing to know that somebody heard you know, even listen to what I had did, you know, and the idea and the thought of, of, uh, 
of uh, suing somebody because they wrote a song that sounded like mine never have and never will enter my mind. Why not? Um, because people, how do you, how you, how you going to advance? Right. Right. You know? Right. How, how you, how do you go further? Right. right. You know, how do you allow things to be? You know, you have to live, let live, let love, let go, let God. Girls, no, we love you. Yeah. Can be girls, we love you. Can be found on uh, Chambers' brother album, uh, "The West Coast Lovin'." Um, right, girls, we love you. Girls, yeah. we love you. Okay, gonna, West Coast. I knew it was one of those. I'm gonna have to mm-hmm. dig on that for a minute. So you're, uh, can you? Yeah, play the both of them and listen to "Girls, We Love You" first, and then listen to "Can I Get a Witness." I will. That's gonna be fascinating. Uh, Marvin Gaye. I dig. I dig. <laughs> but I mean, you know, yeah. um, is it is it uh? I mean, did can you talk about uh, the way you're talking is so uh, you know like you talk about how do you move forward, how do you progress, how do you tr- yes. how do you uh, get enlightened? And I, I was curious. Yeah. I mean, I know that you were, in, you know, I talked to Barry Melton a couple weeks ago, and he talked about mm-hmm. you know you guys are still dear friends, and he and he talked uh, about the jug band scene. But can you attribute some of your open mindedness and your enlightenment to uh, to psychedelics? Oh God! Well, what do you want to know? Uh, how it how it changed you philosophically, uh, you know, yeah. and and how it opened your mind. Because the thing that's amazing is that you guys were really one of the front burner. Uh, I mean, gospel rock, Chambers Brothers, but mm-hmm. I mean, you're playing with Psychedelic. like you're playing with Bob Weir. You're playing with the Grateful Dead when they were a jug band. You know, right. like I mean, you're you're you're, well, you're well. And, and but I know I've done an, I've listen I've woodshedded behind the mic for five years, and I know for a fact that LSD was mm-hmm. was it was potent and it was legal. Mm-hmm. It was legal, right? So I, right. I got into and the way you're talking. So I wanted you to talk about not so much the music, but philosophically how it opened your mind. Well, it made me the person I am today, and the person I've been for the longest time free in spirit and want everybody to be happy and beautiful colors you know i'm i'm the butterfly man <laughs> i, I <laughs> there, you know it, it you know it opened my mind to the fact that you know people can't be going around uh, changing people's minds and you know and telling them what to do or to do what do it the way i would do it and i never and, had those kind of uh, interruptions with other people. I just thought, you know, whatever you do is cool. You know, it made me just a total cool dude. Do are you think, there? I'm here. I'm I'm taking yeah. it in. I want you to go farther because what I'm trying to. I, I mean, are you are you alluding to the fact people are telling other people to, they, they're trying to change their minds? They're trying. Is that happening? More, yeah. Is that happening more in contemporary times? Is that what you're alluding to? Well, it happens in all times. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people just sort of go on their own way anyway, but I was free in spirit and totally blessed by uh, Larry, the Larry man. Timothy Larry got me into such a great uh, frame of mind. I was a three and a half year student at uh, Obeyed, and I got blessed. You know, a lot of people couldn't have done what, you know, couldn't handle one time, you know, for three and a half years to say, 
know, I'm like this every day, and I'm like this for the rest of my life. I, now. um, well, okay, so wait, let's just, you know, where did you go to college? Just, where did you go to school? Uh, when I go to school all over the world, I've been to every college in every state in the United States. <laughs> no, 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 I mean, I, no, you, you said, you said with Leary, some school, I didn't catch the name. Timothy Leary. No, I know, but you said, th- uh, you were at Ohio, Ohio, where, where were you at the time? When for those three and a half years, when you when Leary all over the world, all over the world, I was traveling, performing, and doing whatever I had to do. Had great, just living good and enjoying every moment of it. But you have to, you know, see what people didn't realize, and I didn't tell people, I didn't promote it, but I was born with. Polycythemia vera, which they considered to be a rare blood disease then that has never been found a cure for, because now they say it's cancer of the blood. Hmm. So I had that all my life. I suffered with severe headaches continuously. So when when I met up with the uh, with the blessings of Mr. Leary. It relieved all of those things, you know, that I, all of that pain, all of that misery that I lived in, and and just blessed me with uh, the ability to live with a mind over matter, you know. Oh, I love this for the rest of for the rest of my life. It's nothing. I, you know, I I'm sitting here now with three broke ribs, uh, out of place hip and out of place shoulder and a back vertebrae that's worse than anything you ever want to see. But I deny that. And this is what I learned with with the blessings that I received from Timothy Leary. Uh, mind, mind over matter is the greatest thing you could ever in, incur. Peace of mind. Was I, no, I mean, uh, just curious, the, uh, Leary had uh, chemists at all the different places you performed to give you acid. No, he, no, it was like you remember you said it was not. It was not illegal then. Right. So you, I mean, so, how, how, he would just give you a, a, a bushel of it, and you'd go on tour and just be. Uh, well, he, 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 <laughs> well, no, I didn't see him often like that. You know, but when I came to San Francisco area, we were. We kept, we were friends, and uh, he, you know, he, uh, you know, he gave me enough at one time to last me for the rest, uh, as long as I needed it, and that's when it was first coming about, I just, you know, took it with me. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) This is so, no, because I mean, it's. Took it with me. I didn't tell my brothers. I didn't tell nobody, you know. (laughs) They just always said, you're crazy. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, you're weird. You know, know, so I enjoyed life. I, you know, I feel stage just beautifully, (laughs) you know, and oh, it was great, you know. It's still beautiful. Uh, you know, life is a life is a beautiful thing. People just don't never get enlightened in their minds enough to really let it happen. You know, they always, like I said earlier, people are always trying to change people, 
let people be, let them do, you know, let them go, hmm. you know. So I managed to keep myself alive. Now I've had cancer three times uh, and was doing fine. Then I got assaulted on stage at the Hayward Blues Festival. And, and I tell you, this arthritis that has come from that is is the worst thing a body could encounter is uh, the fact that you're never going to get rid of bone pain because of arthritis. That's what I'm blessed with. It's mine, and I, you know, I live with it. You know. Well, I mean, you're you're flooring yeah. me. you're flooring me. But can I ask you when you after you after that three and a half year stint with LSD, did the headaches go away? Yeah. Unbelievable. So you're, I mean, but headaches went away, the headaches went away, and it came clear to me what I had to do to stay alive all those years with the cancer of the blood. And I had to quit eating anything that produced uh, red blood cells because I found out from a doctor now that uh, about when I was like 15, 16 years old, uh, uh, I had gone and studied, had, they treated me at the Kaiser, not Kaiser, but uh, Caesars of Lebanon. And I remembered that this one doctor had said to me, today I want you to eat all the red meat you can and come back tomorrow. And when I did, my blood was just going crazy. Mm. And then she said, wait a week and only eat white meat and come back. And I had appointments. My mother brought me, bless her so she brought me every time. And I came back. And when I came back from eating the white meat, my blood pressure was real, not good, but it was better, way better. You know, the pressure was gone. The red blood cell built up in an enormous amount of pressure, which caused the headaches so so now so now oh god my alarm. that's all right that's all right you know we got a, we got the alarm going off here go ahead uh, you got to go in there too no you go keep going oh, okay <laughs> something's up out there there was a big explosion just a few minutes ago when remember when i anyway wow so anyway, so, so, uh, so you 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 uh, you overcame the physical pain, um, but then, um, well, I wanted to talk about this for a minute. I, I can you give a an objective analysis of of David Rubinson? Did he open a door for you? How did you get your break with Columbia? Well, we had we had uh, John Hammond Jr had come to Los Angeles when he was a teenager doing the hippie days, now that we couldn't be beatniks anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Beatniks were just simply homeless people, in in a phrase, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about the difference in beatniks and hippies now. Got jobs, and one or two in the gang had a car to move everybody around. I dig. So, I dig. You see, yeah. Yeah, so I had a car and I fit that second. Anyway, 
John Hammond Jr. had come to Los Angeles, and the Chambers brothers were were we were working at a, at the Insomniac in Hermosa Beach on the pier, and it was like a, a coffee house. Sure. And he wandered in there, and we became friends, and hung out with him, and sort of helped him out a little bit, whatever we could do. We had no idea his father was John Hammond Sr. And when we went to the first Newport Folk Festival, Bob Dylan was there. And we had become friends at some time or another here in Los Angeles. And we were hanging out, and he says we had had the opportunity to go on the main stage because uh, uh, one of the art- artists had gotten a bit ill and couldn't perform, and they gave us his spot. And Bob Dylan and his crew heard us, and Bob invited us to New York to Columbia Records to sing on his new album that he was doing, Highway 61 Revisited. Wow. So we went to do that, and we did. And somewhere or another, it's, it's in the books, or it's either, and it's also recorded. So uh, that's when John Hammond Sr. said, thank you for looking out for my son when he was in Los Angeles. And he says, I'm going to do you guys a favor. I'm going to sign you to a contract to Columbia Records. Well, that was that was our whole intention to get with the biggest company there was, although we had some flirts with Vault and a couple other little small labels on the way up, but our intentions as the four brothers were the one that was the greatest, the biggest, the best there was. But then he died and 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 uh, Clive Davis took office and didn't have much interest in us. Um, so there we sat. Yeah, actually, I, until we, I, I had, I lost, I mean, I'm always learning every day too, and I, I, I lost a tremendous amount of respect for for Clive uh, after reading mm-hmm. about how, how you guys were treated. I, um, mm-hmm. But um, can you talk? We're still treated, we're still being treated the same way all these years later, every, we're probably the only artists on Columbia Records that haven't had a raise in in the uh, you know in the royalty department. We're still getting three points. Yeah, I want to read. I want to read. It. I want to read a letter from Lester Chambers to Courtney Love, dated June thirtieth, two thousand. Uh, you say, in 1972, we were dropped from Columbia Records after recording six albums with them, and until 1994, did not receive a penny in royalties because we were still paying on our last album, Oh My God, which showed on the books as costing over $60,000 for five days in the recording studio. Not only mm-hmm. did we not get royalties, even though our our hit song "Time Has Come Today" has been o- used in over thirty films, "Coming Home," "Platoon," "Casualties of War," and television shows, but Columbia never paid into our pension fund with the AFTRA. 
We joined right. after in 65 when we were the house band on Shindig, and as of 1994, had only one year vested into our pension. I mean, to me, mm-hmm. this is just an insulting uh, lawyer-speak bunch of garbage. Yeah. And I don't know how... Um, I mean, how did you over... Psychologically, just yourself, how did you... Uh, I mean, how how do you feel today as opposed to, I mean, you're, you're still mad, but you're, you're still, like you said, you're living life and you're not trying to change people and you're happy and you're, you, mm-hmm. you, you've gone there. A lot of cats can't let go. Mm-hmm. So how, do, how, I mean, can you talk about how you feel today about essentially just being screwed monetarily <laughs> by a major record label? Well, it's, it's, it's hard, you know, it's real, it's real hard. And, you know, you, it's something you can't forget. You think about it every day, two or three times a day, but it becomes, you know, it becomes a, you know, a flash, you know, and could you see things you want to do or you could have done. And it doesn't make you happy to know you can't after, you know, after all, they've made billions of dollars off the Chambers Brothers product, billions of dollars. And I would think today, if they did even consider uh, a settlement with us of any kind, it would start at like $250 million. That's the figure I have in my head as I see it. And to know these things, you know, and, to, and, and the way I have had to suffer from this, and then to find out that they had took my brother Joe and Willie aside because they were easy to get to and talk to, and they took the two of them and said, okay, we're going to sign your two names to the royalties and to the, uh, you know, all the paperwork, so you get all the money, the two of you, and it'll be up to you two to divide and split your, your the other two of the brothers' share of mm. it and the two brothers that got that blessing decided me and my other brother were fools for trusting them. So if Joe get a check for $100,000, mine was maybe 500 sometimes. Um, they own the copyright and they own uh, all the uh, rights to the music, Joe and Willie. And they, do, they don't share with George and me. And it's not easy to talk about sometimes. I, I, I am appalled. I can't believe that. And you know, and people see me. I'm suffering now. You know, like I'm. You know, I'm probably going to get evicted in the next two or four days. But I decided to have a great party for myself. You know. No, and I mean and that's. Uh, I can't wait to 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 get promote this and transcribe some of these quotes and get them out on new media because uh, talk mm-hmm. a little bit of. You know, I just wanted you to talk about. Um, how you became very close with Yoko Ono because if I read correctly, you were homeless and she helped you get into a house. Yes. Uh, she, well, she, she helped me get in the house that I'm living in today. She didn't, people have the misunderstanding about that uh, because they say, they, people say, so you're living in a house that Yoko bought you. Yoko did not buy the house for me. She helped me financially. She paid my medical bills up. 
to where I could now walk in the doctor's office and get treated because I was real sick. And she she paid, so she paid my medical, and and there was enough left to get a, to lease a house. So that I saw that happen, and I also got help from you know a few other people. Alice Cooper helped me. Uh, uh, Shell Crow and you know a lot of people. A lot of people came. Came. I'm I'm involved with the organization called Sweet Relief. They they have an account for me there where people can make donations in my name. So you know, and this this I'm just you know I hate having to be the way I am. I don't like having to you know ask people to help me because they shouldn't have to. I should be able to say here, take this and. You know, if I, but I didn't get what was coming, what was due me, you know. But, you know, thanks for Timothy Leary and the uh, three and a half years or so of great highness and awareness that was brought to me through the uh, psychedelic life. I, I'm able to forgive and move on and know that for the rest of your life, people will always be waiting and over-willing to take the advantage of you, regardless to how down you are. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are people that prey on you when you are down, like I am, you know? And, for instance, I was doing that blues festival, uh, the Haywood, the Haywood blues, blues Festival, when I got assaulted, right? Mm -hmm. Was this the Trayvon Martin? Was this the Trayvon Martin thing? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. T tell us. And the story. this is this this August will be three years now. When I joined the Blue Society, <clears throat> I was told they are a nonprofit organization and that they have a food bank for underprivileged musicians. Well, I had never had to ask a need, although I had needed to, but I never did, because I still was getting my uh, social security, and my son and I were sleeping on the floor in a uh, studio where after the business hours were over, we cleaned the studio, and, you know, and all that stuff, and they would allow us to sleep on the floor in there. That's how, that was the extent to my homeless, but I was still out of a home, you know, I didn't have nowhere to cook, nowhere, I was just, you know, anyway, uh, at which point, when I was doing that blues society thing, uh, and got assaulted, it's been, this, this July will be three years, and not once, not once, have they called me to say, we're sorry, this happened to you. Uh, can we bring you a bag of groceries? Not once. Nobody from that blue society. And these things are the things that just, when I say people take the advantage to prey on people, mm -hmm. because I was down and out, mm -hmm. way down and out when I did that blues festival. All right? And first of all, he talked me out of my price and said, "Well, that's you know we'd like we'll we'll, we'll donate 
to the uh, society for you and put food in the food bank for the hungry and the homeless. I said, okay, great. And I didn't get paid properly. And But that's what I meant about how people wait in this business is the most, you know, prey on you business in the world. You never find another business where the richest man in the world is waiting to see the hungriest opportunity of a person in need to take the advantage of this person and just earn millions and millions of dollars, you know? So what I said about coming to Los Angeles from Mississippi and becoming involved with the music business, with the record business, it was another move of slavery. The music business is sharecroppers arrangement. They get 97%, and the five of us got 3%, and we never got all of that. So that's the sharecropping business that they are in. It's worse than sharecropping because they sell millions and millions and millions and millions of copies of your records to companies overseas and stuff, and then they tell you there's no way to track it. Right. Now, when I went to Europe with John Lee Hooker, every house, he was so popular over there. Every house I went to, the first thing I would do would go to the record collection to see what music they had I found almost in every house a copy of every record the Chambers Brothers had ever recorded and some that had been uh, bootlegged. Sure, sure. You see? Sure. Then I'm, my wife, Lola Bouillon, at the time when I met her, I married her, she's now Lola Bouillon Chambers, and she's went to paralegal school, and we discovered, uh, you would not believe how many record labels Clive Davis has started in foreign countries. And, oh, maybe more than half of them, they use Time Has Come Today to open and promote the record label. Okay? Yeah. And we haven't gotten paid, you know. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'd like to try to, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, Lester, I, 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 I really want to do part two with you uh, down the road, but I want to close on this by you talking about your relationship with your son and this concert. Yeah. That's, this concert that's coming up on Saturday. You might be. I mean, it, again, it seems like. You're all, you're, you're, I mean, you, you, I don't know, man. I mean, through it all, I mean, it's, to me, it's, I'm still, my mind is blown that that three and a half year trip with Leary was so expansive for you to get over and let go of so much of this total disparity and unfairness. But with your son, Mm -hmm. the kind of music you guys make and the kind of statements you're trying to make and just talk a little bit about the concert that's coming up on Saturday for your birthday. Well, it's, it's my, it's, 
He and I, we always share our birthdays together because I'm the 13th and he's the 27th. Exactly two weeks later. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. So we figure either on his, if his birthday is on a Saturday, it would be. If mine was on a Saturday, it would be. But we figure it's not on a Saturday. It's in the middle. So it's actually our birthday party. And we're asking for a $10 donation so I'll be able to pay the rent. <laughs> I did. Now, no, I did. And, and I got to tell you, it is, yeah. uh, you know, my show uh, over, you know, I've interviewed over 500 cats, a lot of uns- mm-hmm. a lot of unsung heroes, a lot of guys that have been kicked around by this this uh, sharecropper mentality in the business. Mentality, and, That's exactly what it is. Yeah, and you were very eloquent about it, and uh, I want to keep pushing that consciousness and letting people know about it. And uh, mm-hmm. I just want to say it's, it's truly an honor to connect with you, men. Uh, and I thank Steve Kaiser for that. And uh, I hope you guys have a ball. I'm down here in Tucson, but. Uh, Let's stay in touch and try to set up a time to do part two if you're up for it. I'm up for it. All right, baby. Much love to you, man. Thank, thank you, Jay, and may the blessings and the force forever be with you. Thank you, sir. You too. Love you. Bye-bye. Be, be, be well. Be well. Take care. Right. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. We'll see you all next week.